Do you think you could be an incredible mom and be in pursuit of goals yourself? I think you can. And none other than the incredible Danielle Laurie is going to share with you how she's in pursuit of an Olympic gold medal while being a mama of two incredible girls. It's the toughest gig she's had to face yet, but she's setting the ultimate example for her two babies to fight for your dreams no matter what. In this episode, Danielle talks about why her parents signed her up for baseball before she ever played softball, why she thinks we should stop comparing ourselves to other people and just be ourselves, what made her want to jump back into pursuit of an Olympic medal after hanging up her cleats after having her two girls, why she believes Heather Tarr and the University of Washington staff are her coaches for life, why having the right people around her is the reason she's been able to make this comeback, the legacy she wants to leave for her two girls, why she is sharing so much insight and vulnerability on social media around her story, and so much more. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete, and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players Some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Before we jump into this episode, here's a little bit about Danielle. Danielle was born in Langley, British Columbia. She competed at Washington, took a year off to compete in the 2008 Olympics for Team Canada, and went back and won a Women's College World Series in 2009 with Washington. She ended up breaking countless Washington records, including career wins, shutouts, and strikeouts, and is the career leader in strikeouts for the Pac-12. She played in the NPF and was named an All-Star in 2011. 2013 and 14, she won the NPF Cowles Cup Championship for the SSSA Pride, and she also competed for Canadian Wild when she came back. She currently ranks top 10 all-time in career strikeouts in the NPF, and now is a softball analyst and is training with Team Canada and will be fighting for a gold medal in the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Man, what a resume. She is incredible. She's pretty vulnerable, and man, oh man, is she real. 
so pumped for you guys to meet her. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle Laurie. I made it. I, I was going to say, the fact that we pulled this together within a couple hours, who are we? I'm pretty sure you're the, busy, the busiest woman on the planet. And we'll dive into why here in a little bit. But I would love for you, one of the best softball players to ever play the game. Like, no big deal. Thank I you. want you to Thank share you. your journey. <laughs> I want you to share. Man. Yeah. Like from yeah. the conception of when you started loving the game to where you are now. And yeah. let's listen. Okay. I'm going to try to keep it like under like five minutes if that's possible. So I started out playing baseball. And I got cut from the Little League All-Star team. And that was at like nine. And I remember being devastated at the time. And my dad pulling me aside and being like, it's not because you're not good. Because you're like the best, one of the best players on the team. It's just, we got to move you into something else where we can potentially see some growth and you can do something with it, right? Like, I don't want my daughters to aspire to be baseball players. I'm not into it. My daughter's playing baseball right now, but she'll get to that point where it's time to move her on to something that she can do moving forward. I started out playing softball. I was terrible. Couldn't pitch, just didn't understand the game. Right. And like the first team that I was on, it was one of those teams where the coach loved her daughter and her daughter pitched all the time. And it was like, I started out with like the sideways slingshot, not even a full arm circle. Like we're talking, this was old school. But one thing I can honestly say about my dad and my mom, my mom's not much of an athlete, but my dad is someone that like definitely saw something in me where he committed so much of his time to that training piece, right? Like we got after it and we trained and we trained and we trained and it got me to that place where I started to get really good at it. And that confidence that he could instill in me to let me know that what I was doing was working made me fall more in love with the game. I got my first kind of kick at the can with Team Canada when I was 15 years old. This was a junior national team. And I got the opportunity to play in the 19 and under world championships in Nanjing, China. And that was kind of how my recruiting process started, right? Like at 15, I had no understanding being a small town girl from Canada, Langley, BC, that like this could be something that I do at the collegiate level. We don't get to watch it on TV. But this was also my first dose of the whole mean girls in the sport, right? Like I was 15 years old coming to this team that had been training together the last year and a half together. And they just inserted me in the last month mm-hmm. and sent me off with the squad. And yeah. so that kind of gave me my first dose of sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are. Like that doesn't make people like you. It makes people dislike you at times. But it was kind of one of those learning experiences for me where it's like, at the end of the day, all I can control is what I can contribute. Like, I'm not someone that's going to go about my business and be mean to others. All I can do is when I get the ball, do what I do. And at 15 years old, your mind is still brilliant. And you don't know, you know, a lot of those hard things about this game at that next level. You haven't been exposed to it that long yet. No, and it's beautiful. So that's kind of how my recruiting process started. When we uh, finished up, I cannot remember who the Team USA head coach was, but that was actually when Monica Abbott had just freshly signed to go to Tennessee. She was their big-time pitcher. And the head coach came up to me and asked, like, do I want to play this sport in college, if if that was even on the radar? And I remember being like, oh, I didn't know the opportunity was there. And this coach had got me in contact with Tony Rico, the firecrackers, and kind of started chatting and figuring out that stuff. And my top three schools were Alabama, Nebraska, Washington. And I still remember the moment vividly when Coach Tar got the head coaching gig at Washington. The next day, she came to recruit me at the Canada Cup. 
And I remember these purple like unis like coming in those old school like big Barney tracksuits. And I felt like so bougie. I was like, they're coming to watch me. Like, this is so awesome. And I like, my mind was made up that I wanted to go there more so because for me, the importance of the family being 90 minutes away was huge. Like for me to go to Tuscaloosa and play, would it be amazing now with everything on TV and and how big it is? Yeah. But that long ago for me, my parents never, never would have got to see me play, nor would my, my grandparents and family. So making that decision was easy for me to be a part of a top 10 program. And hopefully I wanted to be a part of that and help them win a national championship. And man, that we kind of had that Olympic year in the middle of it. And that for me was my first dose of going through the mental grind of it, right? Like I had my freshman, sophomore year at Washington sophomore year went to the world series next year is that olympic year and it's hard being taken away at 20 years old from everything you know to just training with this national team and being away from everything and not having a super good foundation of friendship on it was hard for me right because i've known this about myself like when i'm comfortable and i can be me i'm my best self when I'm not, and I always feel like I'm walking on eggshells or I'm not doing anything right, I don't perform to my best. And I struggled a lot. Like there was multiple times throughout that Olympic year where I called my parents crying and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. Like I'm done. So, you know, we battled through. I, I had great fr- like people in my corner. Jen Salling's a homie. I mean, Kaylee Rafter, like we're doing this together 13 years later. I made that decision to stick through and keep going. And we go to the Olympics and the moment after we lost to Australia, it was the medal game. I remember going to the friends and family area and not having the best Olympic experience. The hardest thing for me was that, you know, my brother was there with Team Canada Baseball. We weren't allowed to go watch any other sports. Like, I, I wasn't even allowed to go watch my brother compete. What? And I remember being, like, pretty crushed about that. And so after we lost that game, I went to the friends and family area and hugged Coach Tar as tight as I could. She was there with JT and, and I just remember being like, there's no way we will not win a national championship next year. Like literally everything that I've gone through, like it was kind of a, like prove the world wrong type of mentality for me. But I also learned a lot about like myself and what I needed to bring to the table to be better, to elevate our team at Washington and where we needed to be. And for me, it started with me. Like I was not Number one, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a good enough teammate and I didn't work to the level that I should have. And that year exploited that, made me realize it. And so we went into that next year with just that open and honest dialogue as as a squad where it's like, we want to win. This is what we need to do to win. You take away from that, you can't be here. We had that open lines of communication where it was like, if you're at practice and you're bringing in drama from XYZ and you're not here for the right reasons, we talk about that. You either can close that and be here and be present or you can't be here. And that's harsh. What you got to learn is that you have four years to be the best that you possibly can be. And the first two years for me were, were dog crap, right? Like if I were to have ended my career, my freshman, sophomore year, what legacy would I have left on the program? And for me, it was nothing. You know, so we go through that whole year. I think the biggest, hardest moment for me was that UMass game, you know, that 15 inning mm-hmm. game and the, the regional. I remember that was, game vividly. Oh my God. <laughs> you can pay me to go back to that. Oh my um, God. And I still remember like 
going through the motions of the stuff from Ken Revisa, the sports psychologist who had helped us with Team Canada and then with Washington of just like being present every single pitch and not taking a pitch mm. off. And it's hard. Like I was gutted at the end of that game in a good way of like, man, I got nothing left to give. But when we won that game, it was such a sense of like peace where it's like nothing will be harder than this. Like this to me just proved that there is no one better than our team because we just played a two and a half hour game before. And then we played a five and a half hour game with a 30 minute break in between. And we threw, and I threw close to 450 pitches. So if I can do that, I can do anything in the circle. Literally anything. Literally. And, you know, we go on to winning. And for me, it was like such a special moment winning that. Cause not only did we set such a high bar for our team and accomplished it, but I just felt this sense of like everything that I had to go through being on team Canada in the trenches and the grind and the crying and the sadness was all for something so much bigger than myself. Right. And that's hard to realize as an athlete, sometimes it's like you want the glitz and the glamor and all of that, but none of that stuff's ever guaranteed. Like you've got to go through some hard shit to get to the other side and you got to realize totally. that. Can I interject here and ask you a yeah. quick question about that? Yeah. Do you think that has also prepared you for this crazy year of like being pushed to 2021? Like mm. if you wouldn't have gone through that, would you be here? Would you be there's training? A couple, there's a couple different things like yes and no. Like COVID was challenging, but I feel like softball saved me in the pandemic a little bit. Yeah, um, because it gave me something to like still hold hope and every day with that mentality of getting better, even though there was such an unknown with it. But one thing I had to realize coming back to play this game out of retirement is that like, I am not the pitcher that I was at Washington or playing yes. professionally in Japan or playing in the MPF. Like, and that's a hard pill to swallow too, when you come back. Right. Like, so I graduate my senior year, we lose at the world series and I hate to say it, but like I was, after we lost, I was okay because I had put everything into that program that I possibly could. Like I mm -hmm. threw over 350 innings a year that we won the national championship. I threw over 300 innings that following year. Like if we lost, it was because of a pitch that left my hand. So mentally that started to wear on me. Right. So when I was mm -hmm. done, I was done. And I played over in Japan for a couple of years um, played in that U S pro league. And it was actually in Japan where I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter, Maddie. So that was kind of a little bit of a crazy, scary time in my life. I was 26 years old. I mean, I, my husband and I were together, all of that was fine, but like me having to halt that Japanese season and then halt the MPF season to do this was something that was unfamiliar territory, having to like give up your body and give up everything you've ever known. Mm -hmm. was really scary for me. Right. So it was like, I had to stop playing over in Japan, had some complications, had to call U-Triple-S-A Pride to talk with Don to tell him that I wasn't going to be able to uh, finish out the season, but I was going to come back for the following year. So had Maddie go through that whole process. But what I didn't realize is when you don't know what it's like to have a baby, <laughs> your body changes in ways that you don't even know. Right. Like mm -hmm. I gained 70 plus pounds of Maddie there's not many pictures of me throughout that 2013 year. We didn't take many photos of myself, <laughs> but after having Maddie December 16th, I came back to play and was with the pride in May. So it was like, I gave myself that like five and a half month window with a baby to go back and play. And like, I had no understanding of the work ethic piece after they have a baby. 
you got to give your body more time. You've got to, you know, it's, it's not an easy feat. Um, and I remember we won with the pride and I hung my cleats up after that gladly. I was like, this is the next phase, next chapter of my life. And I was okay with that. Like I had felt like I'd accomplished everything in this game that I needed to. I played at different levels. And then I had my second daughter, Audrey in 2016. And the moment is so clear to me. And this is the moment where I know that I would not be back if this moment didn't happen. So it was 2017. My husband's from Boston. We were at the Cape for July 4th. We go every year. Um, Audrey was nine months and Maddie was three. And they were at the beach and I was at the, the uh, their beach house while Audrey napped. And the World Cup of Softball was on. It was like, you know, so like that's almost one of my favorite tournaments to watch. And it was Tiffany Green and Michelle Smith. And I know both of them. I've worked with both of them. I played on Michelle Smith's Japanese team. She's a boss. And Tiffany Green asked Michelle when she was at her best as an athlete. That question just popped out. Like, hey, Michelle, when were you at your best like playing this sport? And she said 34, 35. Wow. And all of a sudden, this like light bulb went off. I was like, shit, I'm 30. Yeah, I got two kids and I have this husband and this other piece to the puzzle that is challenging mm-hmm. but i was like she's saying like 34 35 and I, I swear to god like in that moment i made my mind up to do this and i didn't tell anyone about it for a little bit we got back to seattle after the trip and i sat my husband down and we talked about it and it was not a good conversation because i can see his side of me wanting to come back like I made it seem like this goal was so close. It was going to, you know, the Olympics is coming, but it's (laughs) the end of August. It'll be four years that we've been grinding through this. Yeah. So it it was tough convincing him that we should do this because we had these two young kids and this family responsibility that doesn't make it any easier. But ultimately he supported me because he knows what he married. He knows I'm a strong woman. And if I want to do something like I'm going to commit to doing it. Mm -hmm. And we have had the most amazing people in our corner throughout this whole time of just obviously my parents, our friends, our au pair who live with us had helped us with our kids that have truly made it where like I can go away and feel at peace. It wasn't like that right away, but I've come to that, to that place. I will say the pandemic for me was definitely one of the hardest times trying, you know, I'm not so much dealing with you know, knock on wood, anything bad happening because of it. But I just, the emotional struggles as an Olympic athlete training and being in that place that we left training camp in March of 2020 being like, we're going to the Olympics. It was the best I'd ever felt. It was the best our team was. All of a sudden we got home for break and the world just went to shit. And I remember being like, when they postponed the Olympics, like look at my husband dead in the eye with like tears streaming down my face. I was like, I'm not doing this again. Like I'm done. I'm done. And, um, I gave myself a week of that like mentality of like, I don't need to make a decision. I don't need to talk to anyone about it. I can feel how I want to feel. And then I started to like come around in the sense where it's like, I'm not doing this for me. Right. Like, the main reasons why I wanted to go back is because I have these two little kids and this is the most bad thing that I can possibly do to show them that I can do anything I set my mind to doing. But a close second is the people that I'm grinding with, man. Like we're talking about Kaylee Rafter, Jen Salling, Victoria Hayward, like uh, Lauren Bay. Like I went to the Olympics with three of these women 13 years ago. And if I bail on them, to me, 
it's just showing that it's that I don't care enough about them. And um, I do because they're my they're my homies till the end. And I would run through a wall for them. So for me, at the end of the day, it came down to yes, it's going to suck trying to do this again with the same mentality and work ethic that I just had. But I also gave me a different respect for the game because it's like my my days are numbered now like i ain't going past this 2021 like we're done after this and that's where it kind of leads us to today like being here in cape coral florida training getting ready in this pandemic still with the unknown if the olympics is 100 percent going to go but we as a team know that we're just going to go until they tell us stop yeah Wow. There's so much I want to unpack from your story. There's so much here. That's just like, oh my God. Okay. So first of all, we have to go back to like the first sentence you said. You played baseball first and you said your daughter is now playing baseball. I need to know why. Because I also played baseball and my testament to baseball is the fact that like these boys didn't want me to even set foot on that field. And that like built a heart. So I have a feeling it's like a similar story. But I want to hear oh, yeah. it. Yeah, I liked the baseball just because, like, I was better than all the girls. Yeah, and that's kind of where Maddie's at. Like, Maddie has been coming to my bullpens and training with me <laughs> since I went back to play when she was three years old. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, her dad you played and, and was in the minor leagues for years. Like, Andrew is a guru at this sport, right? Like, he has developed her into this hitting phenom. That I will take no responsibility in because that was all him. So we've just been every time we go to the to the cages to throw bullpens, like we're letting her hit. She's pitching. She's doing things. So she's perfected her craft a little bit to the point where it's like we can't put her in with the girls yet because I don't think that she's at the the level where she can play down. Like and and she's still at this level with coach pitch where she's better than all of them. But she's seven and she's never played the game yet. So for me, it's mm-hmm. like give her this one year to do coach pitch evaluate maybe one more year of baseball because I just think like looking at her being around all the boys <laughs> brings the biggest smile to my face. Mm-hmm. Like just her and her uni and her cute little bum and her athletic body. And I'm just like, bam, like I made that. And she's just, <laughs> she's so sweet. She just is so, her love of the game has grown because she's seen me do it. And that's, I think mm-hmm. one of the most special things that I've gotten being back in the game. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I really think yeah. that my sister, my so I have a sister right now is playing in college. And I think it's like, it feels kind of the same way. I'm eight years, well, I'm five years older than her. And like, while I was trying to figure out myself in this game, she was always there too. And like, I'd yeah. hit and she'd be like, oh, can I hit? And it was like, this yeah. like authentic, I want to yeah. play. And it, it sounds like she's asking to practice. And I think she, she is. For a lot of parents right now, they're like, how do I get my kid to like be motivated to practice? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, expose her to it. Like just show her what it's about and like, and she'll figure out if she wants to do it or not. But it sounds like it's all her freedom to want to play. It is. It's, that's the sweetest part. It is. She's (laughs) just so like, just pure with it. Like wants to do it because she loves it. Doesn't understand the next piece of the puzzle as far as like how that all plays out. It's she loves it because she loves it. Oh, that's amazing. And she got to watch you play. Uh, in Florida, right? Just recently? Yeah. That was the last time. Yeah, she'll get to have ever watched me. She's seen me play a good amount over the years, but to say she has any idea about like what's going on in the moment, she doesn't, but she, the best part about being back in the game for me 
has been like back in the day in college and, and everything, the wins and losses would affect me in such a positive and negative light. You know, you play good, you're on such a high, you play bad and you pitch and you lose, you feel such a lull and a low and it's all like, poor me. And what I've learned now that I have kids and then I'm, I'm at this age still playing, it's like, I'm good. Like I'm no longer defined by giving up a home run or losing a game yeah. because I have this support and stability in my life that makes me appreciate the moment so much more. Right. And when you don't have that mentality back in the day, it's, you can be down for the count for 48 hours. Like, Oh my God, I don't want to play anymore. I'm embarrassed. But I have these little kids that look up to me where the whole poor me. And it's funny because we had this conversation. We just played Italy for four games and I did fine, but I struggled a little. Like I gave up one home run, one outing and one home run, the next outing. And when I was talking to my daughter about it, she was watching the game and I called her after the game later on. And I was just like, she's like, how are you? And I was like, you know, mommy's just a little frustrated, still trying to work, work through some things. And I had given up a home run and she's like, but you guys still won. Like, why are you so sad about it? And I was like, I can't explain to a seven year old, but I was just like, you know, that mommy works really hard. And like, I'm just trying to just mommy's trying to work on things, get better. But then it just completely made me realize like snap out of it. Like I, I can't be as mad and as frustrated as I was in that moment because I have such a greater responsibility of being a better teammate, being someone that can help lead the pitching staff, being a mom to these little kids and a home run is no, is not going to define what I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just the perfectionist mentality that most females have. Like yeah. I deal with that all the time. And I, and it's funny because the kid, you know, in us would all, would probably say the same thing, but we've kind of like hidden that. But Madison's like, uh, no mom, you guys won, get over it. <laughs> and you're yes. like, wow, it's like my conscience trying to speak to me. I love it. So you mentioned how you are a different pitcher now than you were at UW, obviously. Like that's like, yeah. it's very, it makes total sense. But do you feel like having your your kids has allowed you to become a better and smarter pitcher now? Yes, I do. I just have a greater understanding of the game. I have a greater understanding of the moment, accountability at its finest. But the the pressure piece of like being able to understand the moment for what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that knowing that your time is dwindling in the game makes you realize that. And sometimes as female athletes, we don't know when our time's done, right? We don't have an exact countdown. Like sometimes when you graduate college, it's like, oh, my, I might still play or I might still do this, but like I know my time clock is ticking to when I never will play this game again. So it's made me just have a different respect for the preparation, the grind, the good, the bad, and the moments when you feel your heart racing and you're like, there's pressure here and I feel it. How can I control this? And it's like, there's been a couple of moments over the course of the last couple of years the Olympic qualifier when I went into a game in the Mexico game with bases loaded one out. And, you know, we have seven, 8,000 fans in the stands and I like feel my heart beating through my chest, running to the mound. And I was like, that's why we play the game, right? Like that, if you could bottle up those emotions and feel that in moments where you need that, that's why you love it. But you also need to understand how to play through that and not make it like so much bigger than it is. And so for me in that moment, that was probably my one light bulb moment 
where I stepped off the mound and I literally did a 360 of where I was at. And I just found my kids in the left field and like thought about every single thing that I had done to get to this moment in time where it's like not fearing the moment is huge. People Mm -hmm. fear failure, right? Like people go into games and they don't want to be the one to strike out. They don't want to be the one to make the error. They don't want to be the pitcher to go in and give up the bomb to lose the game. But if that's already the mentality of going in and you're fearing that, you're setting yourself up for that to happen. Having that mentality of just letting pressure and letting fear in and and owning it, but also knowing I've done everything I can to prepare for this moment is what allows for the outcome to be okay, regardless of what that is. But that's taken a lot of time to realize that, right? But I also appreciate being back in the game at my age, knowing I ain't throwing every game. I'm not throwing mm-hmm. seven innings game one and seven innings game two. Like mm-hmm. I'm getting my innings and I'm getting my time, but it is nowhere near those pressures of what I felt where it's like, we're going to the Olympics and we're playing six games. Danielle's throwing every single game. I'm not dealing with that. Mm-hmm. And I love that piece to the puzzle of being back, knowing that whatever innings that I'm being slotted, maximum full effort, ready to rock, owning it because it's more of like a specialist type role with whatever the pitchers on our team are are getting slotted into. So I like it better than throwing every game. I'll just say that. (laughs) Yeah. I was just about to ask that. Wow. It's incredible. I remember watching you play in 2009 and women and winning the world series and you were like it. I don't remember any other pitcher pitching for (laughs) Washington. So was that hard for you to go from, I always have the ball to, I have to share the ball. You know, now? No. Um, Maybe like the first couple years after I graduated. Yeah. But not where I'm at now. Like, yeah. Another main reason as to why I wanted to be back in the game is like, I wanted a different Olympic experience than what I had 13 years ago. And the player that I was, the person that I was, the teammate that I was, I could have been better in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it starts with like, being able to, number one, take accountability for what you bring to the table, but being supportive of everyone and, and staying in your own lane. And, you know, I had posted something on Instagram today where it's like, I, I talked about like, stop worrying about what others are doing in your, in your sport. Like I yeah. grew up at times constantly comparing, am I this? Am I that? Am I her? Am I better than her? And I, dude, we got to stay with where we're at and what we're focusing on. And if we can do that, like using other people's, you know, talent to motivate you in a positive way is important, but constantly comparing and comparing and comparing will pull you down. And I did that a lot in 2008 with like comparing myself to the ACE Lauren Bay with who I'm still playing with to this day, but being back at my age and doing this, it's like all I can control at this level is me, how hard Mm -hmm. I work, how I choose to treat people, how I choose to go about my business. And if my name is called, my name is called. And if it is not, there's still a role that needs to be played on my end where like I have to give the team everything I have. And I did not do that in LA. And I'm not stoked that that's how that was, but I was also freshly 21 years old and I'm 34. Like there's a a whole bunch of life experience in the middle of that, that different perspective all the way. Yeah. And I think the game too has also evolved. And I wanted to ask that because I know so many parents have kids who like, they're the ace and there's nobody else and they're getting worn out and like they're used to having the ball in their hand. But yeah. I mean, even when I, pl- I played in the pro league, I was always the star in college 
And then I go and I'm playing with Lauren Hager and I'm like, okay, well now things have changed, you know, yeah. and, and getting used to that. It's like, no, you should kind of, it's good to be exposed to other pitchers on the team because it takes a whole staff now, especially in the college game to it win. We does. literally had one pitcher when I was at Purdue and like, she's actually my maid of honor, my wedding. <laughs> um, but she, she couldn't do it by herself. And yeah. like same with the hitter, like I can't be the only hitter on the team. We're not going to win. Like that's just not how it works. So I think it's really cool to look at it from that perspective that you did struggle with it at first, but now you're like bigger picture, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, now I don't have to pitch age. every game. Yeah. Nor do I want to. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, there's a big difference in how my body feels right now in comparison to how I felt 13 years ago. Like, mm -hmm. so if you want to get the best out of me or the maximum, you know, effort from me, it's like, we have to learn how our bodies are going to, be able to get our best self and it's not throwing every game seven innings whatever the case may be it's not but I will be ready with whatever lies ahead and I think that's a cool mentality to have too right it's like if my name's called awesome I'll be ready and if it's not support the hell out of whoever's out there because at the end of the day you're sending the best 15 athletes to help your country try to win an Olympic medal and you all have to be on board for whoever's out there doing it totally Man, the story is so exciting. I, I want you just to compete tomorrow. Like low key. I want to watch the Olympics now. <laughs>
it's different for everybody. You know, everybody's load is different. Everybody's finish is different, but the best hitters, if you look at it and slow it down enough are at the same spot at contact. Now that's like hand over your barrels, your head over your back knee, your weight is evenly distributed and balanced. So we're going to go over those things. Now, here's the crazy part. I could probably talk about this stuff for like five hours, but it's only going to be an hour. And so this is going to go from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. And athletes are invited, coaches are invited, parents are invited. And I know you guys are gonna come and leave with a ton of information. So please join us. You guys go to the link in the show notes. You'll be able to click on the link to sign up for the virtual session. And you will get an email with the Zoom link so you can join us at 6 p.m. on June 10th. By the way, this is Eastern time. And if you can't make that time, sign up anyway, because everybody who signs up for it will be sent the entire recording so you can watch it as many times as you want afterwards. And I have a special announcement at the end, but you won't be able to know what that is until the 10th. So thank you guys for tuning into this commercial. I don't really like calling it a commercial, but I love sharing free advice to you. And if you guys are loving this podcast, or especially those episodes where we talk about hitting a lot, you guys are going to leave that conversation with like a lifetime of knowledge that your athletes, once you share it with them, are going to be so eager to go out in the backyard and hit. So it's all about owning our swing, and I want to give you the tools to do that. So if you guys, again, go to the show notes, click on the link. Um, It'll take you straight to my Calendly app so you can book your spot. You will get sent the Zoom link to join us on June 10th at 6 p.m. Eastern, and I can't wait to see you there. And yes, you're going to forget once this episode ends, so maybe pause the episode, go sign up, and then come back to this episode with Danielle. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Let's get back to this episode. I really want to tap into the fact that you got to play for one of the best coaches out there, Heather Tarr, mm-hmm. and yes. JT, and like that whole staff. There's so much, and Morgan Stewart was on here, and she talked about her experience with them. I want to know what are like the biggest takeaways that you took from that staff? I would say staff was rumbled up a little when I first got there, right? Because it was Eve Ga, Hirai, Coach Tar for the first two years. And then when I came back after the Olympics, that's when Glasso uh, was there on staff and JT was full-time on staff. And I would say like Coach Tar to me is someone that like fully invests in the person that you are, not the athlete that you are. And I think that's such a huge, you know, thing as an athlete, like going into a school and being talented, a coach could just utilize what I bring to the table as far as who I am as an athlete. Um, But what I learned about HT, it's like, she's that one that like, yeah, she's a head coach. She's a little scary. She makes the big decisions, but she has my back at the end of the day. And if I know that she fully trusts the person and player that I am, that I will literally run through a wall for her. And she always did. And she never cookie cut me into a certain type of player or what I needed to be. Mm -hmm. And not that I didn't get along with Eve Gaw, the pitching coach, but like we just didn't sync well together. Like it wasn't like she was making me a ton better. And I remember the call when Coach Tar was getting a new pitching coach post-Olympics and said she was bringing Lance on board. And I remember getting on campus post-Olympics and meeting him. And, you know, like I had a little bit of an ego because that's just like this guy's coming into our program. And I remember he came in and wrapped his arms around me. And he was just like, I'm so excited to like 
be here to help make you the absolute best pitcher that you're going to be. Like, I'm not coming in here to change you, make you different, but I'm going to be your support system this whole way through. And I will get you and give you anything you need to be the best that you can be. And I was like, holy shit. Like <laughs> that just gave me such a different feel for it. Mm-hmm. Because as a college athlete, you're usually being told what to do at all times. Yep. And we had such a good relationship in the sense of being able to talk the really hard parts of the game and, he was really open and honest with me to help me through things, but I was all really open and honest with him. And that kind of, I think, took a little bit of pressure off HT to just know that like glasses got my back and we're able to have that good relationship. Um, and when you trust the people that you're working for, I mean, the bond is there. And Glasso, like I'm, I'm not the same pitcher that I was in 2009 if Glasso wasn't there. He just took me under his wing and supported me to the max and, you know, I learned my backdoor curveball that year, which was really big to just add another pitch into righties away from lefties. But the confidence, the confidence was huge. He'd run with me. He'd time my runs. And that's always been a huge part of my training. Like for me, fitness is number one, because if I can put myself through really hard things, when I'm in the moment and things feel hard, I've already done harder. And so he would know that and we would run post games and he would time me. We'd be on the warning track doing stuff. And that was important to have a support system with that. And JT, I mean, JT was just chill all the way through. Like he just kept it light and kept it good. But at the end of the day, like Coach Tar saw something in me and I am, you know, forever, forever grateful that she offered me that opportunity to play there because being a Canadian and crossing the border and having to think about paying to play at that university I wouldn't have put my parents through that burden of having to pay almost $80,000 a year being international and the list goes on. I would never have put my parents in that debt, nor would I have wanted to be in that debt. So without HTC and something in me, I'm not in the position that I'm in where I am right now because I wouldn't have got that experience to play collegiately and continue to pursue this game in college and past college. So I owe her a lot and I know she feels the same. You know, I was someone that, she recruited and saw something in, but that was someone that could help her win her first ever national championship. So we have that connection and and that uniqueness and they've been a huge support in me being back playing the game. Like as soon as I made the decision in 2017 to come back, Glasso was the first person I called. He was catching bullpens. We were training together. He was helping me. It was almost like, you know, besides the fact that my body felt like it was hitting a wall every day because you want to be what you were. We realized together, like, I'm not going to be what I was, but let's figure out how I can become the best version of myself and have that help. And so I still owe them that thanks, even being in the position I'm in with Canada, you know, three and a half years after I made the decision to come back. Yeah. Wow. They're like your coaches for life. Like they're... They're like, yeah, it's like a, a blood relationship. Like blood is thicker than water to me. Like they are my family. That's a reason why I wanted to live in Washington. Like for my little girls to be able to go to those games and be at that university and watch women's sports and and go to football games and see that, that was something that I didn't have growing up, but I know the impact it had on me at that level. I can't imagine like Maddie can walk into the locker room and and go over and see sis and it's chilling with sis Bates and it's nothing. But -hmm. another kid would be like, you know, shaking and Oh my God. And to Maddie, it's just like, this is just a little, like a badass player that is normal. Mm-hmm. And I love that for them because it allows for them to know that like this game is amazing. It can lead you to great things, but the players we have in this program are 
humbled and awesome and giving and caring and are still human beings. They're not just athletes. Yeah. And role models is something that I go crazy about because I mean, Caitlin Lowe is my biggest role model, but I never actually got to see her until I was on the other side of the field playing against her team because she was a coach then. And it was, it's, it's so cool that Maddie gets to be around those athletes because now it's like, Hey, when sis has an error, she gets to see what she does next. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, being able to have those people in your life that at least can like, you can look up to and your decisions are going to be like, okay, what would sis do like in this situation? I think that's huge. So, wow. I didn't know that's kind of why you lived in Washington. That's so neat. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and also too, you talked about the staff and how each person had like a different personality, but like each one of them got something else like different out of you. That's a beautiful thing. Yes. It's important to connect with an individual on what they bring to the table because we're so different all all of us when you get to that next level right it's like you can't all put us in a box and assume we're the same but when you get to college there's so many outside things that you don't understand as an 18 year old going to college you need help with like being away from your family the fitness aspect the school aspect being told what to do from 6 a.m until 8 30 at night and it's you have to have people that can help you through that and understand it. And obviously your teammates are there, but they're also going through the struggles too. So it starts from the top and it starts from the leadership that those coaches bring. And they've always been so big on being such a huge part of it. Like HT was at our workouts and she's working out herself. And I'm like, she looks good. She's working hard mm-hmm. for the team. Even though she's on third base, she's got to get that good round, right? Absolutely. She's got to get, I coach, yeah, we thought my coach was crazy for working out with us too, but it makes total sense. I love that. I'm all, I'm with it. So you talked about how these coaches helped you find your inner confidence as well. Like you said, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be the pitcher that you were in 2009 without it. But I think it's an amazing how you can actually blend confidence and vulnerability. And here's where we're going to tap into the amazing role model you are on Instagram and how you can be vulnerable and share the hard also with like, here's the good too. So like, how do you find that balance or where did that balance come from of confidence and vulnerability for you? That, that Olympic year was a huge year for me. Yeah. I don't think that I was in the best headspace throughout that whole year. And I learned so much about myself to where it was like, I'm not vulnerable. Like I walk around thinking I'm this big tough girl and I can deal with everything. And um, I'm not like when you're playing with grown women and you're 20 years old, you're playing with 27, 28, 29 year old women, like you get exposed and you got to grow up and you got to figure yourself out. But I also didn't know how to do that because I didn't feel like it was understood why I was the way that I was. And that's okay the cool part is being where I'm at now and understanding that we have younger players and how I can help them if, if they need it and stuff like that. But what I had to learn, especially when that year was over that like how I can be different is understanding that like, I have to express how I feel that way. Like I have to be able to say that I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm happy. And I can't just be this tough warrior all the time. Cause that's not me. I've learned it more as a mom than ever. I'm as emotional as ever in good and bad ways. But I know that when I'm around people that I trust to my core, I can be who I am. And when I can be who I am, you will always get my best self. And I learned that in this sport. And for me, Washington was always family, always family. So I felt like I could always be my, you know, authentic self all the time. 
And with Canada, I felt like back in the day I could not. And to be this fake person of, you know, pretending I was this something that I wasn't. And I never played up to my full potential because of that. And then going back to Washington with Lance and discovering more about like what I bring to the table. 2012 was my last year with Team Canada and continuing to play up until I did was awesome. But then coming back to play the game is where I truly realized like I'm my most vulnerable self right now because my life is so much harder than what this is. I have kids. They are on my mind 24 seven. I have this husband who is, you know, allowing me to pursue this dream and hold up such a tough end of the bargain at home with working full time and helping look after our children, but never getting to have that, that break. And like, I've just learned that I'm so much more vulnerable to how I feel about things and being on this team and being surrounded by people that I've played with for, you know, Jen Sally and Kaylee Rafter and I, we've been playing together for 15, 16 years. Like, you know, each other well to the point where like you can be yourself And I just think like the game has led me to where I'm at now, right? It's like I'm 34 years old. I'm still playing. I've been playing this my whole life. Like I owe this game so much to go out with that mentality of like being the best version of myself, working as hard as I possibly can, being as vulnerable as I can um, and being the best damn like teammate person that I can. Mm -hmm. Because when the Olympics are done July 28th, medal or no medal, like I have to lay my head down on the pillow and be at peace with whatever happens. Yeah. And for me, it means checking off those boxes of controlling what I can control, acting how I need to act and being okay with the good, the bad and the ugly of it all. But knowing that I can rely on the people that are in my corner, which is a lot of amazing people um, that I don't get to talk about enough, you know? Yeah. So, so it sounds like the key is have your people. Like have you your gotta people. have your people, gotta have your people. Um, That's amazing. And some of my, you know, bestest friends at home don't even really understand like that. They know I'm good at softball, but they don't care. That's the best yeah. part. Right. Uh-huh. So it's like, I can go home and dive back into this mom life and my mom friends that are amazing and awesome. And, but at the end of the day, like they don't care about softball. They just care about who I am. And, and that's it. Softball has definitely sculpted me into who I am, but when there's a layer that comes off now that I'm a mom, that softball no longer defines what I am. Right. Man, we got to put that on a t-shirt, but like, isn't that just refreshing that you are somebody outside of the game? Because I can't tell you, you know, I'm four years out of playing now and I'm just now figuring out who I am outside of the game. I, I was out too. And then I was drawn back. But I think the reason was because I didn't know who I was outside of softball. And yeah. I think every player kind of deals with that. Wow. But the fact that yeah. you have gone through that and also are like where you are mentally, it's like, yeah. dude, when the cleats come off, <laughs> title of the podcast, but like yeah. when they do come off on July 28th, after you win a gold medal, yeah. what do you have to look, look forward to? Like what's next? I, I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I am extremely in love with my career and being a softball analyst. Yeah. I love that so much because it allows for me to still be a part of the game, (laughs) but no longer have to like, the proof is not in the performance after August. And so for me, it's like that, that's hopefully will be a huge part of the next, 
you know, 10 years of my life where it's like I'm involved in the game and I'm helping call games and I'm being present and seeing the talent come in as a freshman and graduate as a senior and the game evolve and getting to get paid to give my opinion on it is amazing. I, I would love to have another kid. I think my husband is in such a thick of how hard our life is right now. So <laughs> it's hard for him to see that, which I totally get. And I just think like being a mom in the sense where it's like, I know things are going to start to speed up. And as much as I want to slow him down, I know Maddie's going to get, you know, more and more and more into sports. And it's not just you go to baseball practice and you're good. It's like, no, we need to go to the cage because we need to train. You don't just go to practice and you're good. we got to do things on our own. And I've always had to do that for me the last four years, more so than give to them. So I'm excited to be able to give to them without my time being needed for my team. As of right now, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I love my job and I'm hoping that I can continue to, to do that as long as I can and love all my kids and be that softball sports mom with whatever it is they choose to do, but never put that pressure on them that they need to be what I was because that's mm-hmm. not the expectation. I just want them to be happy with whatever it is and be amazing at it and put forth the effort to be the best at whatever that may be. And that's something that was instilled in me at a really young age. It's if you're going to do something, you want to do it to the best of your ability. If not, why are we wasting our time and our money and our energy? So Right. Right. Man, you're setting the standard really high for for just <laughs> the game itself. You know what I mean? Like it's like when you mentioned how you for four years have been doing the extra work. So many yeah. people, they want the easy way out, easy way out right now. There is no easy way out no. like to anything. If you want to be the best at anything, yeah. it takes the extra work. And you're setting the best example, especially because you're not just sharing the good, you're also sharing the hard. And I think yeah. that's really special. And you're the best role model for your kids in the world and, and more Thank than you. just your kids. Um, I have to ask though. So I listened to an interview that you had on another podcast and I am like a big visualization person and I know how badly you want to have a gold medal on your chest, but you literally said the words, I see myself with a gold medal on my chest. And like, you are visualizing that right now. What is the reason behind that for you? It's funny. I have the like picture, like on my phone, like I look at that every day. I don't know, man. I think in sport, it's like, if you don't already see yourself being successful and doing that, what's the point of the grind? It's not guaranteed, like the medal is not guaranteed. But if I already haven't put myself in a position to believe that I'm capable of doing that, why would I be willing to put forth this effort day in and day out to just get there and be like, oh, I hope it works. Like, ah, I hope it comes together. It's like, but I've also learned the older I get, I have to prepare for both ends. I've prepared for losing and I've prepared for winning, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know the emotion of what I will feel in the moment if we win. And I know the emotion of what I will feel when we lose. It's when you don't prepare to understand what the failure will feel like that you are devastated to your core for years on end. At the end of the day, the work speaks for itself. And that should always be what allows the outcome to be okay. Because it Mm -hmm. is sport. You're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And to be okay with winning that damn thing at the end and being bougie and whatever. And we did it. You got to have that work that goes into it day in and day out. But when you go out there and you literally leave your heart on the field and you lose, I can't be mad at that Mm -hmm. because I did everything that I possibly can do. And sometimes things are just out of your control. 
And that's the hardest thing playing sport, but that's the beauty of it because it's the road that gets you to that moment, like that you needed to appreciate more than ever. Like I look at that national championship, right? It's like, everyone's like, oh my God, was your favorite part? Like winning that national championship and holding the trophy up. It's like, nah, bro, that whole year of doing that as a team and the selfless talks and grinding and fitness testing and tears and hating the night before when you couldn't sleep because you were so nervous, but you did it as a team. And those are the things that build you up to hopefully being in the best place for that moment. But that's the stuff you remember your whole life. It's not just that moment of the medal. Would that be the cherry on top? Hell yes. But if it doesn't happen, I'm at peace with where I'm at. I'm at peace with the people that I'm playing this game with. And I know that we've worked to the level that we have the opportunity as a, as a team to fight for an Olympic medal. That's all that matters to me, right? You've got your best 15 athletes. If you know you did everything in your power to train to the best of your ability, that's all that you can possibly do. Oh my gosh. There's never been a better answer <laughs> to anything on the podcast. That was so good. Thank and you. you're in the midst of training. You're in the midst of the grind right yeah. now. I don't want to say it's almost over, but like it's almost over. So it's like over. you're close and you're yeah. and you're doing everything that's possible for you to set yourself up to put yourself in the best position to win. And man, it's been fun to watch from afar, let me tell you. So I know I mentioned Instagram and some people on here are probably like, what is Instagram? But I don't care. What is your Instagram handle so people can keep following your journey? Yeah, um, it's just Danielle Laurie 15. It's pretty self-explanatory. I think the coolest thing about the social media piece for me, it's that like what you see is what you get on both ends. And I think that's the, the best thing that you can do if you have that platform, right? It's like you'll see me and who I am and know that that's exactly the same person. I mean, if I could leave this podcast with anything, it would be for the softball moms and the moms that at times have not wanted to put themselves first. That's the one thing that I had to learn how to do. Because when I had kids, I felt like that was the only thing in life that mattered at that time. And I went through that kind of not depression, but like, oh my God, is this going to be the rest of my life where I just have kids and this is it? And I had to learn that when I made the decision to go back in the game and play, I was filling my bucket in a way that I didn't know was possible that allowed for me to be an even better and a more incredible mom because of that. And I mean, the mom guilt is real. The mom shame is real. The amount of people that have asked me like why I choose to do this and be away from my kids and how I can put my husband through this. It's like, the one answer to that is like, no one knows what the hell happens when the doors are closed. No one knows what's going on in my house or how my husband and I go about our business. But the only thing that matters is like him and I are on the same page and he believes that like this was the best thing for me. And most importantly, I believe that in order for me to be the best wife and mother, I needed to be back in this game and give it one last shot. And I no longer wanted to put myself on the back burner. So for the moms that feel that or don't want to put themselves first or you know, whether it's they're guilty for working part-time or guilty for working full-time or not getting to be at their kids' practice all the time or whatever it may be, you deserve to feel fulfilled in your life and your kids are better off when you feel that way. Mm. So take the plunge on that because that is such an important lesson that I've learned. It's like, we have one life here, man. And it's like, happiness means so much and kids sense it. My kids aren't going to remember me being gone. These 
these next three months. I'll see them one more time, but they're not going to remember that in the grand scheme of things. But they'll know when I'm back and I'm happy and we're in that groove in our life, like mom's happy and that's all that matters. Mm, Gotta take care of yourself. I love that so much. So before I let you go, I want to ask you some quick, like rapid fire. I call them five to thrive questions. You cool with it? Okay. Yep. All right. Just whatever comes to mind first. The first question I want to ask you is what's your favorite thing about the game? Oh man, striking people out. <laughs> like striking people out. I do. That's what attracted me to pitching. I was like, dang, I'm making them like walk back to the dugout. It's me. I like that. <laughs> Great answer. What advice would you give your 12 year old self? All you can control is how hard you choose to work. You can't control what the coach does. You can't control what your teammates do. But if you're in control of yourself in that moment, that's all that matters. Perfect answer. What's the greatest lesson that your parents taught you? To compete, compete, compete. Like from a very young age, like four or five years old. And that turned me into the woman that I am because everything in life to me is a challenge. I've learned over time, like I don't need to just like beat everyone and make fun of them. But like even my husband and I are competitive about things. And that's that's life. I've always enjoyed that sense of if we play cards, I'm going to beat you. If we play crib, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> it's the fun part about life, winning. <laughs> totally. I love that answer. Same thing with my parents. I would not be who I am without that competitive fire. It does come to my disadvantage sometimes, I will say. Like when Definitely I met does. the in-laws and we went bowling for the first time and they beat me, I wasn't okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be. You just got to oh, get better man. at bowling. got to get better oh, at bowling. I got really embarrassed when Ben's dad beat me. I was like, this is awful. (laughs) But he's actually a good bowler. So like, okay. Actually, my fiance, he played golf in college. And so whenever we go out and play, I get so mad. Like I get so mad if I shank it. I get so mad if I miss a close putt. And he's just like, dude, you're not good enough to get mad at yourself. I have learned that with golf though. I have learned that with golf because my husband's a big golfer too. That sport Uh, humbled me more than most. Seriously. I thought we had it bad. Golf has it worse. Like straight up. It's the hardest sport in the world. It totally is. I totally agree with that. Yeah. All right. uh, Fourth question. Who is someone that you look up to most right now and why? Besides, obviously my parents, they're huge. This COVID year has been such a show with not being able to see them. I'm like my teammates, man. Like the ones I'm doing this with, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, I mean, I got to look up to, to the ones that we've been grinding with Jen and Raph, Vic, like there's been some women on my team that have been here since 2009, not competing in an Olympic games, 12 years. Yeah. So to me, the Olympics is so much bigger to go because of players like that. And I look mm-hmm. up to them for being able to continue to wear Canada across your chest without an Olympic opportunity. So for me, it's like, man, I need to see it through because of those women too. Yeah. And it sounds like just being around them makes you a better person too. It does. It together. I I mean, never again in my life am I going to get to live with my best friends and sleep till 10. I need to (laughs) soak that up as as long as I can. So totally. Wow. Well, before I ask you this final question, I just want to thank you because this has been, I'm, I'm so glad we just threw this together. Like Two hours ahead, you want to record? Yes, let's go. I just think the world needs to know who you are behind the curtain a little bit, you know, like just what makes you you. And it's 
your, your journey has been incredible. Like I'm sitting here 28 years old. Like why the hell did I stop playing? Yeah. But like seeing you do it, it's like, I am such a fan of Danielle Laurie. Like you are just, you are shining your light and sharing so much vulnerability that it's, it's truly changing our game. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you. I I appreciate that more than, you know, seriously. (laughs) Thank you. I love it. Okay. Ready for the final question? I am. All right. I hope you don't cry during this part. I shouldn't have said that. What legacy, what legacy do you want to leave on not only this game, but your girls? Oh man, the legacy. I would say in the game, I think for me, it's like the work piece is such a huge part in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. So knowing like that, Save the Last Dance documentary was the best thing to come out of COVID because it just gave me such a clear perspective on Michael Jordan and the mentality of being a beast. And I think understanding that there was things that he would say throughout that, like, I'm never going to ask someone to do what I already haven't done. And for me, that has been such a huge piece, metal or no metal. Like, I have put myself through the ringer at Washington. I put myself through it playing professionally in Japan. And I've put myself through it harder than I ever thought was possible over the course of these last four years, but more importantly, over the last year and a half. So as much as not a lot of people get to see when the lights are dark, because you're doing a lot of that work, when the lights are bright, that's when you hope that you can play up to that potential. But how I go about carrying myself, how when I'm in that position to play, that I can just do what I can do. But how I choose to treat people matters. And I'm big on that. I'm big on people knowing that Danielle works as hard as she could. She came back with this Team Canada and was a completely different person player than we ever thought was possible because I did used to be a little bit of a dick. But (laughs) I think knowing that I've done everything in my power to be the best version of me is huge. As far as the legacy for my little girls, man, it's like I've been writing these journals and this was actually Sue Enquest's suggestion because I reached out to her before coming on this trip because I was... I was nervous wreck. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be away from my kids. Like my mom heart, how am I going to do it? And she was so big on just like letting the shit show in and knowing that it is going to be so, so hard. Acknowledge it, let it in and find a way to create the same routines that you do at home. And she was big on like these little journals. She's like, you should write a journal entry to your kids every night. And just whether it's a memory from the day, whether it's a moment in time, something that you went through, like the, the weekend I wrote in of after the Ita- like Italy game and I gave up the home runs and what I was feeling. So in five or six or seven years, like they can look back on these things and know that like my mom did this and like she went through this and she still thought about me. And so that's something that can hopefully help them in the future with whatever they choose to do. But to know that if I did it, y'all can do it. And I still tell Maddie that to this day. It's like, if I'm doing this, like you have no room to complain if you think running a lap in PE is hard, okay? Like, let's, we're not going to talk <laughs> about that. But I just need them to know that whatever it is they choose to do, like they can do it because their mom can do it too. So, wow. Sue yeah. Inquist, man. What would this she's world be bomb. without her? She's right? the bomb. Yeah, she's we, special. I had her on and she... I think I asked her four total questions the entire time. And it was a two yeah. hour podcast. Like it? it was just like, she just had Natasha Wiley. She called him um, Sueisms. She just had him like over and over and over all these gems. But wow. Like telling her like, you're going to have the pain, let it in and yeah. accept it. Wow. 
Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And I did. I did. That's the best piece of advice I'd heard. It's like, you can't like go into it and expect it's going to be really easy because it's not. You got to own it. It's going to suck. Battle through it. Be better because of it. And that's exactly what I've done. I haven't hit that threshold yet where I'm like, I'm balling and I want to go home. I know I'll have that period because we get one more break for five days in the middle of May. And then I won't see my kids until the end of July. So it'll be almost two months without seeing them. But then I'm done playing this game forever. So it's like having that perspective. Yeah, it'll suck. But at the end of the day, I think I owe it to the game to give everything that I have and hang my cleats up and not feel guilty about it. So we'll see. I'm letting it in. It's going to be hard. We'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're a rock star. Thank you so much, Danielle, for being on the podcast. This was such a fun interview. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm glad it worked. (laughs) Me too. I told you she was going to be real, raw, and vulnerable, didn't I? Man, I loved Danielle before we had this interview, and now I'm even more in love with her and her story. And man, her husband deserves the biggest shout out. He's doing a lot right now for her to be able to pursue her dream. And man, that's the dream. I hope you love this interview. If you guys want to keep following Danielle, she's all over Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is my favorite to follow her on. Twitter, she is Danielle Lori 5 and Instagram, she is Danielle Lori 15 Now, if you want to check out more episodes with some Olympians that are going to be competing this summer in the 2021 Olympics, go ahead and go to the show notes. I've tagged some interviews with people like Monica Abbott, Aubrey Monroe, and other Olympians that are going to be competing. It's so awesome to be able to get to know the people behind the people we're going to be watching this summer. And I had a blast getting to know these amazing and incredible athletes. If you love this interview, I want to know your favorite part go ahead and go to Apple Podcasts and write us a review of your favorite episode or your favorite parts of the episode so I know and can tailor your favorite things and interview people that kind of align with your favorites. So with that, thanks for tuning in this week. And I'm excited to see who's going to be on the podcast next week and who you're going to get to know. All right, guys, stay awkward and keep smiling. See you later.